take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. All I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Southgate Real Talk. I am your host for this podcast, Robert Montalvo. Today, we're going to be having a couple of conversations with some candidates running for local office. One of them is Maria Estrada, who is running for the assembly in our district, the 63rd district, against Anthony Rendon. We also have Elizabeth Castillo, who is running for Senate, District 33, which affects us here in Southgate, and she is running against uh, Lena Gonzalez. We're going to be having conversations with both these candidates. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get right to it. Uh, I have a really special guest for you all today to, to listen to. We're going to have a conversation with Maria Estrada. She's running for the Assembly District here in um, California, the uh, the 63rd District. Uh, so welcome to the show, Maria. How Good. Are you doing? Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I can tell you a lot of the subscribers and listeners here are really interested in what you have to say and what you have to talk about. So um, just looking you up online and stuff. So you're an advocate, right? Yes, I am. Uh... I've been politically engaged most of my life, but uh, I've gotten far more active since I moved back to Southeast LA in 2016. Um, I'm I'm from Linwood, and and I moved in '89 when my son was uh, almost three years old, and they shot at my mother's house, and we just had some altercations uh, at the time, and there was a lot of you know drug drug use and drug abuse and drug dealing and gangs and a lot of stuff that, you know, was just a lot of hectic shit going on and we just had to move. So uh, I just didn't want my son to grow up in that. After they shot at my mother's house and surrounded her house, um, we decided to move. And also, honestly, because my son was afraid of the police. Well, uh, unfortunately, I don't think a lot has changed since then. I mean, we still have uh, shootings, we still have gangs, uh, drug use and Obviously, people are still afraid of the police now, so not much has changed. What's your What's a driving force uh, behind Maria Estrada? Why do you do the things that you do? Um, honestly, because I'm angry and I, I just see the injustices everywhere, um, the quality of life, the deterioration of the quality of life, the lack of upward mobility. Just I see a lot of people really working hard and doing what they need to do and not getting ahead and people who, you know, make promises and have power who don't use that power to help the community. And it's just, um, you know, really frustrating for me that when I was young and I got married, I had my son in high school. My husband started working at the time and he was making like $20 an hour in 1986. That's a lot of money in 1986. You have kids with college degrees today that, that, can't, that don't make that kind of money. That uh, that today is not possible. Um, not even $20 an hour could sustain a family. You just see people working harder, more hours, longer hours, less time with their families and not getting ahead. It's just wrong. It's unjust. And who do you and who's responsible for that? I mean, I know we have a lot of basic city council. We have legislators here in California in our district. So where, where's the problem at? Well, I think it's uh, multiple layers of problems, right? So it's not just one one thing, it's multiple things. I think that um, uh, this uh, society is not really conducive for small businesses. Everything's corporate driven. Um, a lot of small businesses, even just with COVID, have been decimated. Um, we saw trillions of dollars go to corporations, even like Gavin Newsom's winery got like a quarter million dollars. And yet, a small business that I that wow. I work for, the first round didn't get any money. Um, people are scrambling. I know that people applied, you know, hair salons, nail salons, small grocery stores, just barber shops. Different people applied, uh, and they didn't even get a response. People don't realize it's a transfer of wealth, transfer of money 
public money going to big corporations, big companies, and supposedly under the small business, right? There's supposed to be small businesses, but it's really not going to the small businesses and the mom and pop shops. And uh, aside from that, you see, uh, and we'll take Southgate as an example, but I could take, you know, I could name any city and, and you see them giving contracts to Southgate gave a tripepi um, marketing firm that does those videos for your mayor and they're paying like tens right. of thousands of dollars. I mean, I know people that do video graphics all over that could do that for a fraction of that money. And uh, Thomas Buckley, who I, you know, only met by accident and have recently had a conversations with him. He's very qualified. He does good work. And uh, why aren't they hiring him if they're supporting small businesses? There's a lot of people that could do. There's kids going to college for this stuff, for God's sakes. Why aren't they given those contracts? The fact is that this is a, it's an intentional effort to give money to big companies as political favors. Uh, they give uh, these contracts to corporations because they get personal, whether it's a political favor, they get, you know, kickback for it. You know, you can name it. There's all kinds of back deals being done that's extracting the money from our cities and sending them to outside cities. And that isn't an accident. It's a way of keeping our communities at bay and not allowing them to, to flourish, not businesses can't flourish. And, uh, and that's really unfortunate. I mean, you even saw with the police, you know, the restaurants that they bought, you know, they spent almost $30,000 in three months on food. And uh, during the COVID and the city paid for it. And a lot of that went to right. like corporate restaurants outside of the city. Why couldn't they have ordered from food from the cities? I mean, I just, it's just outrageous. And uh, there's a lot that could be done differently and it's not, and it's intentional. And it's also very clicky. Like it's like high school. And if you're not in with the, the, the cool people, then you're going to be treated poorly and you're not going to get, just like the way I'm sure people have heard when I've called into the city council meetings, like, why are you sending money to some nonprofit in Whittier when you have nonprofits here that actually service the city? You're going to justify 120 grand to, to help 13 people who don't even live in the city. Like, why don't you just give 120 grand, you know, to the people in the city, you will give 120 families a grand each or something, you know, but, but that's never something that crosses their mind. That's not why they're there. They didn't go into these positions to actually help the community. They went in those positions because they think that these cities are like their little kingdoms and they're like kings and queens and we're supposed to kiss their ass. And that's not how it works. So are they like handpicked by, let's just say like the higher Well, ups? yeah, I mean, you could see, I, I just actually got a, a tagged on a post about a, a small barbershop in Maywood He's supporting someone else, but the mayor says, oh, you know, because he put it out there who he was supporting. So the mayor says, oh, so you're not supporting my people. And the mayor isn't even running. Eddie de la Riva is not running. It's other people that are running. But because this guy didn't support who he supports, they immediately went after him. The city inspectors showed up and did all this stuff just to just to fuck with him. And that's the kind of shit that happens all the time. And it's 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 even further than that. People don't even realize how deep this runs. We just did the endorsements in the LACDP, the Los Angeles County Democratic Party, of which I was just elected in March. I can tell you that that organization is probably one of the most corrupt organizations that I've seen. And the way that they conduct business and, and so that people understand what the LACDP is, that every county has a, a Democratic Party organization within their county. And they're all over the country. And the LACDP, so the one in Los Angeles, is not only the largest committee, but the most powerful in the country. So people have no, no idea that, that their committee here in this county and anybody could run for it and people don't even know about that, um, can get elected and it wields a lot of power. So once you're, you're in this organization... Do you, do you think it's intentional they keep, they keep this information away from the general public? Oh, of course. The, the, they don't want people... They actually don't want people to vote. They don't want people to, to engage in the political process. They want the same group of loyalists. We have the worst air quality in the country. 
We know that Gavin Newsom has given over 50 fracking permits and we don't do a, a, a pumping tax. Every other state does. Uh, we know that uh, we are in the middle of a drought. We know that they've allowed these fracking companies to put their wastewater that's full of carcinogens in our aquifers. They, we know that they've never done anything to actually capture rainwater. We know that we had a bill that would have covered everyone in the state of California with healthcare, full healthcare, medical, dental, vision, drug rehabilitation, rehabilitation, mental health, and it would have saved the state of California $37 billion a year. Saved the state. And you're talking about SB 562, right? And that bill passed the right. Senate. It was written by actually Ricardo Lara and uh, Tony Atkins, who's now the Senate pro tem. Ricardo Lara is now the insurance commissioner. And the funny thing is neither Ricardo Lara or Tony Atkins ever advocated for that bill. So they presented it, it passed the Senate, and then it came across Rendon's desk. And he's, he's, and people don't understand, he's not just your assemblyman, he's the speaker of the assembly. So he oversees the entire legislature, which is 80 different districts. And he's considered the second most powerful, if not the most powerful man in California. So he's not just a regular assemblyman. And he uh, got it. It came across his desk and he literally stopped the legislative process, which is completely the, the opposite of what he should be doing. Didn't let it move forward to committee to be worked on and to be voted on. He, he didn't let it go to assembly to vote for a vote. So he basically stopped it and he ran on health care. He ran on health care and he ran on the environment and he ran on the ed education. So he killed the health care bill. Southeast L.A. is probably the most environmentally uh, terrorized uh, communities in the state of California. We have hexavalent chromium-6, uh, which is the same stuff from the movie Aaron Brockovich that was in Hinkley, California, that caused cancer. We have all types of particles in the air that are so fine that could get into your lungs that could cause so many respiratory issues, which is why we have uh, the highest cases of uh, respiratory and lung issues in the county. Uh, we have um, lead PFAS, PFOS, which are the forever chemicals that is from the movie Dark Waters, we have in our in our uh, water systems, in our wells, in our reservoirs. Uh, we have um, lead contamination, like from Excite, uh, that we know just got off, and they were protected, right. uh, which is another thing we could touch on. And we know that California ranks on the bottom five in the country. In wow. education, I think we're like 46. So there is nothing, it's so disingenuous to say that you're fighting for something when you're literally the most powerful man in the legislature. The saying in Sacramento goes, what Anthony Rendon wants, Anthony Rendon gets. So if he really wanted health care, we would have everyone covered right now. If he would have passed that bill in 2017, by the end of 2020, we would have saved $111 billion. And everybody right now who lost their job, who doesn't have health care, would have health care, and everyone else would have health care, full health care. The, the, the lies that you hear about, oh, we don't have money, even Gavin Newsom, he's, he, I mean, straight up lied to the nurses who endorsed him, uh, has a committee, that, that health committee, supposedly to talk about health care. They do not even talk about a single payer health care system because they will not give up the money that they get from the health insurance industry. And it's all about profit and money and power. And they don't give a fuck about people. And that's just the sad reality so of what we're dealing with. Well, this is basically like a one-man show like he's really calling the shots on what passes and what doesn't pass right oh yeah yeah anything that he champions that he wanted to champion he would he would uh it would pass he has that kind of power so since we're talking about environmental issues uh there was one here in southgate that that you actually brought up that was really important and that was the uh, brown water epidemic that we have well um, first i'd like to say that that um i saw how many people were posting about their water. So um, you have to be kind of in touch and in tune with, with the community, right? You, but I've known about it for a while, uh, simply because like, I, I actually went to Simon Rodia High School to speak. And um, one of the teachers there and the principal were telling me that the kids can't drink the water from the faucets and the fountains, and that the teachers were actually told not to uh, use the sink water to clean their dishes. That's how high the, the lead levels are. Um, aside from that, the city, the, the school, like you could see the cracks in the walls because it's sinking, and it actually looks kind of like a prison. 
not to mention the fact that it's in a business district in a cul-de-sac and getting to that school from the main street on Alameda next to the tracks, there's no sidewalk. So the kids have to walk in on the street to get to school and they're told to go around, which is an extra 20 minutes, which I think is outrageous. And, uh, and uh, kids have had actually had to jump into the bushes on the, where there should be a sidewalk so that they don't get hit by cars coming by. And I'm, I'm pretty frank about who I am and the, my life and how I grew up. So I, I'm, I'm pretty uh, honest about my, myself. I don't have anything to hide. I'm not trying to bullshit anybody. So I connected pretty well with the kids in continuation school. Uh, I think a lot of times people see politicians as like these other people, but I'm I'm like I'm not a politician. I'm just a regular person. They're me and I'm them, and I I, I could rec I sympathize and I I can empathize with their situation. So they asked uh, Anthony Rendon to speak, and when he showed up, the kids questioned him about the stuff that I brought up, including the water and the why their fountains are like that, and the, the you know all of that stuff. And uh, he became enraged, had a uh, like a verbal back and forth uh, with some of the students, and it was being recorded, just like my my thing was recorded. And his staff actually took the phone from the kid and they forced him to erase it because they didn't want anybody to see the 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 uh, the altercation between uh, Rendon and the students. Are you kidding? No. Mm-mm. Wow. Well, the thing is, is that, you know, he he said that they 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 um, they basically like sabotaged him, that they that it was like planned. These are students. And the thing is, is it's again, when you give people information that empowers them. Like one of the kids says, well, what can I do? I said, run for office. I said, every one of you repeat what I said about the water and about the lead and about all this stuff and tell your parents and tell your homeboys and your homegirls and your neighbors and your friends and your cousins, everything I tell you, you use that information, tell somebody else and tell somebody else so that they get involved and they become engaged because people have no idea that their kids are being poisoned, that our water's this bad, that, that the air has, you know, all of these, uh, uh, pollutants in it that's causing them to get sick some people have no idea and it's it's really important for me to put that information out there so that people do know what they're what they're being exposed to especially children because we know that po- pollution actually affects a child's ability to learn and uh, that needs to right. be that needs to be known you know you have parents who have kids and you know they're the first time parents and they're raising their kids and the kids have problems and they're you know whether they have behavioral issues or they can't learn and the parents think they're doing something wrong. And that actually causes like friction between the husband and the wife and then, you know, the parent and the child. And, and that's, that's psychological trauma and, and they're not getting the resources they need for their kids or for their families. And, and then the teachers who have to deal with these children who have to try to teach them and, and they're, they're only allowed to do so much. Teachers know when a child can't learn, but they're only allowed to say so much or do so much. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, and that goes back to, to the money leaving the area where it's supposed to go, going to, who knows where, right? Well, I mean, you got to think about it like this. How how fucked up is it that you run in a community, in a region, in an area that you know has been contaminated with lead and is one of the most environmentally terrorized communities and areas in the state, and you run to represent that community that you're going to run on, on and fixing the environment or helping the environment and healthcare and education. And you've literally failed on every aspect of your, your platform. I did see a flyer he sent out. Um, it came in today or yesterday where he, uh, he cleaned the water. He's, he's claiming, right? Well, I mean, you're, you're in Southgate. You tell me, I mean, I, well, I, let's, let's get into that because uh, there, there was a big ordeal you went through just to get that information, right? Yeah. So I actually asked for the um, water testing results and um, it took a while and they sent me a link and it's a link that that's on the website for the city, right? So it's just a link and you click it and it looks like a, a brochure and it's like very fa- little lines, dark light, dark light. And it has all these chemicals and it says the level of, of each chemical. So if I look at trichlorothene, it's like 0.1. So it looks like there's not very much, right? And I actually asked right. some, some of the peop, uh, friends of mine who are on the Central Water Basin Board to look at that. And uh, those are uh, 
you know, cancer causing chemicals and uh, the levels are super low, but they said they're blended numbers. And I said, well, what's a blended number? And he, she goes, well, they take all the wells and then they put it together. Well, that's a, that's called an average. You know, if you get 10 numbers, you add them together and you divide them by 10, that's the average. That's what blended means. So technically, if you have 100 wells and two have uh, at 10 points, you know, of a certain chemical and the rest have none, then the number is going to be really low, right? But that doesn't mean the people right. that are drinking from those two chemical two wells aren't going to get contaminated, you know, contaminated water. So that isn't being addressed. And I remember when I posted that information because I had to go back and it was really strange because a woman in Orange County actually sent me the warrants. So the payments that the city made for the, for this year. And as I'm scanning through like hundreds of pages, I'm like flipping through, flipping through and I see WEC laboratories and then WEC laboratories and WEC laboratories, like every few pages, WEC laboratories. And it says water analysis. So they're testing the water, which is exactly what I asked for. So I went back and I said, you've been getting WEC laboratories to test the water like a couple times a month. I said, that's exactly what I asked for. And you sent me a link. So I want all of the water testing results for 2020 immediately. And then I want 2018 and 2019. So, of course, that didn't happen. So I, um, when I asked for it, they actually asked for an extension. And they said they needed it until uh, August 20th. So by law, under the Freedom of Information Act and the California Public Records Act, they have 10 days to provide this information. However, they could ask for an extension, and there's five requirements for that extension. So they asked for an extension, which was August 14th. I'm an activist, and what I'm doing in Southgate, I've done all over the Southeast. I'm running a campaign. I work full-time. And I protest, I, I do actions. So I text my uh, attorney and I said, hey, Southgate isn't responding on those water testing results. And he goes, I'll call him right now because it was like 4.30. And he did. And he called and he's actually, um, he's a really, you know, I, you hear all these stories about attorneys, but this guy's like super nice. And he's a very well-known attorney. He's actually, uh, you know, very well established. He's had big clients. Um, you know, the, he wrote a book, they want to do a movie from his book and all this nonsense, but super nice guy. So he calls and he's talking to um, Raul Salinas assistant. And he, everything was fine. And they were kind of joking. And then he she says, Well, how can I help you? And uh, just goes, let me well, uh, Raul Salinas is the uh, city attorney for in case you didn't for, know. For Southgate. Yeah. And for Southgate, so, right. so then he says, Well, I'm a lawyer from uh, from Los Angeles and I represent Maria Estrada. And as soon as he said my name, boom, that was it. <laughs> she cut him off. They clicked on him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she was wow. like, I'll take a message. Wow. She just, her tone changed and she just, I'll take a message. She goes, well, can I get a voicemail? And he goes, she says, I'll take a message. And then he goes, Oh, so you're the voicemail. And she goes, I'll take that message. And she just didn't really want to talk to him anymore. And um, wow. yeah, so that really infuriated me because he's so nice. And uh, so I called in the city council meeting and I pretty much went off on them. And uh, I pretty, I think it's pretty outrageous for a bunch of people who know that the water in this city is contaminated because they get those reports would tell me that I'm being disrespectful. I think that a lot of, uh, a lot of people don't even know what respect is. And uh, I don't think that it is appropriate to tone police someone and I sure as fuck don't think it's appropriate when you're violating the law, when you know that people are bathing their children in contaminated water and drinking it and uh, cooking with it, that you have the audacity to tell me that I'm being disrespectful because I'm using language that you don't agree with. I believe that my anger and the anger in this community is righteous and justified. And I don't believe that anybody has the right to tell me that I shouldn't talk like that or I shouldn't behave like that. If that was your kid, would you bathe them in there? If you knowingly knew that that child was being exposed to that, would you allow that? Fuck no, you wouldn't. No, see if there's possibly a blood in there, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I just, to me, I, I think that there's a lot of people that are on their high horses that believe that they're owed some sort of respect. 
and yet they show the community no respect. This is like the stuff I've dealt with, and I don't cry like a like a baby about it. I'm not, you know, asking for sympathy, but I'm I know that not everybody is up for this kind of fight. And I don't have people. It's a lot of people. Trust me, I've been I've been doing this for a bit. And when you you get to know these people and the way they treat the community and the disrespect, if you're not part of their clique, then they're going to treat you like trash and uh, who don't want to get politically engaged or involved or speak out because these people are ruthless. They're ruthless. And as long as it's coming from them. But here I come along and, and I've, I've had my car broken into. Uh, dead bird put in my mailbox. I've been physically assaulted and the police won't go after the people that did it because of who they are. I mean, this the cat my mind and I'm, I'm going to put it out there. And all of a sudden I'm a bully and I'm, I'm, you know, a horrible person. Well, I don't like, right. like I was actually asked, you know, this area, like a, like a mafia. And then, well, they want to keep power. That's why they're so mean probably. Well, but see, the crazy part is, is that, they act like that, said, you know, contacted me and said, Maria Davila said that you outside of her house, just be respectful. And she's not going to ask any questions. And I said, tell Maria Davila that I don't protest people's houses that I respect. But I'm not going to repeat. <laughs> but but the point is, is that, you know, happening in that city, in that community, whether it's the food insecurity, the unemployment rates, the amount of people, 37% of people don't even have health care, uh, the fact that people in, in Southgate live 10 years less than the people in Beverly Hills. I mean, we could go on and on and on about all the issues in just that one city and ability to. Well, Maria Estrada, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything you want to say uh, before we go? Uh, no, just thank you for having me on. I appreciate you inviting me and, um, just that uh, I, I really hope that people um, exercise their right to vote, even though I've said probably some things that have been discouraging. Um, this is a very uh, consequential race. The fact that the race in the 63rd is the most consequential race in the state of California, even though people may not recognize that. Uh, to defeat the Speaker of the Assembly of the state of California, who is probably the most powerful man in the state, would be huge for, for this movement. Um, but it would actually be a big statement uh, to the establishment uh, that the people of Southeast LA aren't going to take their shit. Um, people deserve better. I know we could do better. And uh, I believe I'm the person for that. Um, but I appreciate you having me. And uh, uh, regardless of uh, what happens in this race, uh, I'm going to continue doing what I've been doing and uh, bringing out information to the community so people know what's going on because uh, knowledge is power for sure. And uh, you, everybody here that's listening could actually do a public records request, ask for information from the city, and uh, they have to, by law, give you that information. Uh, don't ever forget that you have power and collectively we wield a lot of power and they're afraid of that. And that is exactly what they fear the most is the power of the people. But thanks again. And I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks, Maria. Okay, our next guest is running for Senate District uh, 33. Uh, her name is Elizabeth Castillo. Welcome to Southgate Real Talk, Elizabeth. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being on. So let's get right into it. Okay. Um, why did you decide to run for Senate? Well, I decided to run because I, I did see that the incumbent, Lena Gonzalez, uh, was actually running unopposed. So I felt that was undemocratic. Um, and then also because um, I ha as a nurse, uh, I've been a nurse for 12 years, I have seen the disparities, you know, in our district um, that black and brown communities, poor communities, immigrant communities suffer um, because of lack of health care, lack of insurance. And, uh, and I saw that our, um, our leaders, our elected leaders are not doing anything to help our, our communities um, with that. So that's another reason why I decided to run. Okay. Since, since you touched on, on, on being a nurse, uh, I know that you're, uh, you're for, you, you are for single payer healthcare. Uh, tell us more about that. That that's correct. I am for single payer healthcare. Um, again, like I said, I've been a nurse for 12 years. I worked in a hospital for 12 years. Uh, I, I, I saw how, you know, a lot of, um, patients that would come in uninsured or, underinsured 
and uh, lack of access to medications, couldn't afford their medications because our system is, is a for-profit system. It's all about money. And um, so I, I would see a revolving door of patients who would come in over and over for the same thing. And that's basically because they, they can't afford to pay for their medications. Say for instance, diabetes. Um, I took care of a lot of patients with diabetes, and a lot of them are Latinos. Um, that, that runs very high in the Latino community. And they come in over for the same, same problem, um, and that's because they have no access to health insurance, um, and they don't have access to pay for their medications. They can't, I mean, who can afford insulin be, because the pharmaceutical companies are allowed to jack up the insulin prices. And so what we see is people who come in for the same thing. Um, and then eventually what ends up happening with these patients is they start suffering from other uh, medical problems from diabetes, like kidney disease, amputations. Um, we have enormous amounts of amputations in, in our country, which, I mean, we are the richest country in the world. But here we have patients who are coming in for these amputations um, and I just, I think, I think it's unacceptable. It's ridiculous in the richest country in the world. And um, yeah, so I think with single, what I believe with single payer healthcare is that we will solve a lot of these horrible issues that are happening in our country and our state. And that's why I'm fighting for single payer healthcare. And definitely being in the Senate, you can absolutely write bills uh, to, to push that issue along for everybody. Definitely. And I will definitely fight for a single payer health care bill, which actually is in the works right now. And if I'm elected, I will help push a, push that bill through. Uh, that's my my main goal is to get that in California. We could have had it in in um, 2017. Uh, Speaker and Dawn, as you know, there was a bill SB 562 that uh, California Nurses Association pushed uh, sponsored, actually. And I was I was under California Nurses Association when I was working at the hospital, so I did participate in a lot of um, actions, going to his office, uh, going to the Capitol, going to um, in, in Sacramento to talk to our leaders, our Senate, our Assembly members, went to hearings. I, I was very, very involved in that. And um, unfortunately, we know what happened with that bill. That bill was shel shelved by um, Speaker Rendon. And, um, you know, unfortunately, it's I, I see it as because he takes a lot of money from corporations, from the healthcare industry, hospital association, as all our other um, assembly and Senate members do. Uh, the incumbent, Lena Gonzalez, she takes a lot of money from the healthcare industry as well. So that's why we can't get anything done right now. Okay, so in, in this in District 33, uh, the Senate District 33, one of the biggest issues is our environment, obviously, and along with the Exide debacle that happened. Uh, how are you going to change that? Well, I, what I see is that these polluters, these criminal polluters, need to be held accountable. Um, and, I, and I believe people need to go to jail. That's, that's what I believe is going to change things, is to hold them criminally accountable, not let them off the hook with these bills, and um, our attorney generals who give them, you know, a pass on what they, you know, the criminal activities that they commit and polluting the communities, specifically communities of color, you know, that we don't really see these things happening in Santa Monica or Beverly Hills. We see this happening in South Central, Southeast LA, Boyle Heights, in those areas where highly concentrated um, people of color, like Latinos and Blacks. And um, we need to hold these these polluters accountable and not let them off the hook. And I specifically think that CEOs need to start going to jail um, and hit them where their money um, where, where their money is, their shareholders, um, and not let them profit off of killing our communities. Just here in Southgate alone, uh, we we actually have a brown water epidemic that we did an episode on um, last week. And it's right. and it was recently discovered that there's a possibility of lead in the water. Oh my goodness, that's horrible. Um, but I I wouldn't be surprised because of Excite from what I've heard that um, it's probably contaminate the soil and that you know and that would contaminate the water. So I I'm not I would not be surprised about that. And um, I think our our representatives, our elected officials, are very disconnected. 
um, they're ignoring it and I, and, um, they're not doing enough to, to, um, protect the communities. Um, I really think that they're just out there to enrich themselves, enrich their, their friends. Um, they pick their cronies to be in positions like the DTSC. I mean, the, the people that are in that, um, that agency are, are appointed by the governor and by the assembly member, the speaker of California. And uh, I think that's another problem also is they, they, you know, continue this cronyism. They, they appoint their friends and that's why nothing ever, never gets solved or done, uh, dealt with. And I think that that also needs to change. And I also believe because of what's happening with Exide right now, you know, they're bidding, they've been let off off of that bankruptcy, uh, claim, you know, I think the bankruptcy bankruptcy laws need to be changed as well. They're made, um, made stronger really so that we can't allow these corporations who are contaminating our, our communities um, to get off so easily. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. That's a great point because if there's no, if there's no accountability or consequences, they're just going to keep doing it. Exactly. And I think that's what's happening. You know, they've been let off. They've been allowed to do this for so many years. Um, and our, our elected leaders have, um, you know, basically have allowed them to do this and are the agencies that are supposed to protect our communities. You know, I mean, they're not doing anything. Um, and I think they need to be hit hard legally um, and financially. And I think that's how we will be able to change things and basically shut them down as well. I think they need to be shut down and um, not allowed to continue um, doing that, doing the uh, criminal acts that they do and that they get away with. Uh, another thing that's that's happening uh, right in front of us right now, uh, especially in Southgate, but all around uh, the 33rd district, is uh, gentrification. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And as you know, one of the one of the main causes of that is lack of rent control laws. That's correct. What's your view on that? Yes, yeah, so that is a big problem in the in the district, um, and I know that the incumbent Lina Gonzalez has been a uh, part of that, um, especially in Long Beach, because she was a city council member of Long Beach and um, played a big part in the gentrification in Long Beach. Um, so definitely we do need strong rent control um, laws. So, you know, I think it's it's a start, but I think we need to go farther. I think there needs to be stronger um, laws or regulations to protect tenants. Um, especially right now with the pandemic, you know, I've, what I've been seeing on social media um, is ten, uh, landlords actually already starting to evict people and with the help of the police. And um, I think that's a, that's a big issue. Uh, we can't have people out on the street during a pandemic. And um, we need to be able to provide relief for, for the tenants and for the landlords, because I know, you know, landlords are struggling as well. Um, because of the pandemic, people are not able to pay their rent. And so I really believe that we have to um, have relief for, for both the, the landlords and the tenants to, to keep them housed. Just on that subject alone, what kind, of, mm-hmm. uh, what kind of bill would you write to ensure that both tenants and landlords uh, receive help? Um, so I would work on getting federal, really federal dollars. I really believe that our federal government... Um, needs to provide assistance for um, for landlords. Um, landlords need a lot of help right now um, because, of course, they're, if their tenants aren't paying them, then they're not able to pay their their mortgage. And so I would write law or push for resources from the federal government to provide relief for um, for the landlords. But also, we must make sure. I would make sure that you know they keep their their tenants housed if, if they are going to receive these monies they have to agree to keep their um their tenants housed and then also not to raise the rents as well and um, we, we want to make sure that you know they're able to last through this emergency that's happening and it could be quite a while you know i mean we're not going to be out of this pandemic right away it's going to take some time um so i really believe that uh, federal dollars we really need that some more tech um relief like stimulus funds and unfortunately you know we see that both parties are not um, having any any luck with that, but I would really, really push for that uh, stimulus funds, COVID relief funds, and also, right. I, you know, subsidies. I mean, just like Section Eight housing, whatever the tenant can pay, and then subsidize the rest. I, I would, you know, definitely fight for that as well. 
that would definitely help with homelessness and a exactly. lot of the evictions that we're seeing now. So that, exactly. that's a great point. That's a great point. I um, mean, and really, if you think about it, I'm sorry to cut you off, but if you think about it, it would be less money, you know, um, because if we have like this mass um, eviction where you're going to have a lot of people displaced out on the street, it, now we're going to have another issue to solve and it's just going to cost more in the end. So it's, it's better to deal with it now. I've so you talk about uh, pandemic protection. Uh, explain what that means. So what that means is that we need our workers, our essential workers, and basically all workers, really. All workers are essential to me. Um, protected um, so that they can go to work and feel safe, um, not have to worry about possibly catching COVID. And I know there's a lot of unscrupulous employers who are not following those guidelines, not giving their their workers the protection they need, like PPE, masks, sanitizer for their hands, um, separate areas for them to work, you know, just like what happened with, um, I think it was LA Apparel, you know, in LA, where the employer was not protecting the workers that were working there. Most of them were women, most of them were Latina women. And what ended up happening was many of them um, were infected with COVID and several of them died. And wow. yes, and that's unacceptable. They did nothing to that employer. They let them, you know, fix everything and then continue, you know, with their business. They didn't hold them criminally accountable for, for doing this. Um, that's, that's four deaths, four women that died. Imagine what they're going through now with their families, their children, or, you know, whoever's left, what they're going through now that, you know, their loved one has died. This is unacceptable. And um, so I would fight for, for COVID protection. So that's what I'm talking about is making sure that employers are following the guidelines. Otherwise, they will be fined and they will be held criminally accountable. I want them to make sure that they are protecting their workers. PPE, um, education, because there needs to be education on, on what employees you need to do to protect themselves. And um, yeah, so that's def that's what I mean about um, pandemic protection. Now, if you're elected as our as a senator, I'll say I should say our senator because I live in I, I live in the district. Uh -huh, yeah. Um, what do you see right now that needs to change? What would you do different right now if you were the senator in the 33rd district? What I see that needs to change in the 33rd is that we need more resources to the people in this district. And it's a very large district. I mean, this district goes from Long Beach all the way to South Central. And um, there's a lot of people who are suffering right now because they're not working. They've lost their health insurance because unfortunately health insurance is tied to employment. Um, but what I see is a lot of people saying they need help with, you know, their, they need food, they need rent assistance, they need health care. And so that's what I would work work on is bringing resources to the people um, directly to them to help them and I think that's what needs to be done and and we need to go out and talk to the community and I don't see I haven't seen that from Lena Gonzalez the senator I have not seen her out on the streets talking to people talking to the community to find out what it is that they need talk to I mean basically that's that's what we need to do we need to speak speak to people and um, get you know what she does is she has these town halls on, on Zoom. I mean, that's not doing anything for the people. That most, and there's a lot of people in our district who may not even have access to a computer or to the Internet. And right. so how can, you, you know, how can you find out what's really happening in your district when you're having these Zoom meetings and not, not talk to, to people directly? And I think that's something that really needs to change. Yeah, it, and that's definitely something we probably need here is is, is some change because just like you're saying, I don't see it out here either. No, I mean, she's been send, sending mailers uh, through the mail, and I guess that's all they think that they have to do um, to hold on to their seat is just send out mailers and spend a million dollars on on wow. uh, <laughs> cardstock, <laughs> basically. <laughs> right? Yeah. Kill, killing trees. Killing trees, exactly. So... What do you have to say to people, those people out there that say you're unqualified, that say you don't know what you're doing, that don't agree with your views 
as far as being a senator in the 33rd district? Well, I would say that I don't think anybody was born being a senator. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't think Lena Gonzalez was born as a senator. She learned as she's she's been in the seat, obviously. Um, And I, I read something that, you know, she had a slow start and that's because um, she was learning as she was going. But I mean, I'm, I'm not a politician. I'm a nurse and I see what's happened, um, what's happening now and, and, and past how people are suffering. And I believe that that makes me qualified to, you know, help people to do something more than what's what's being done right now. I, I have healthcare experience. You know, uh, I have seen what's happening to people who, are, who suffer from mental illness. I would use all my power of the seat if I were to be elected to bring, bring those resources to, to the people in our communities to help them. I'm qualified to help people. I'm a nurse and that's what I've been doing for the last 12 years. I'm a community activist. I've been out on the streets. I've gone to I have gone to um, Sacramento to talk to politicians, the elected officials, about bills. Um, I worked as a representative with California Nurses Association um, to protect uh, our nurses in the hospital. So I do have um, experience um, standing up for patients and standing up for nurses uh, against a corporate, corporate hospital that was profit before people. So I do have that experience for fighting for for workers and uh, for patients. For, so, for those that yeah. haven't, haven't made their decision yet, what would you say to those people? Well, I would say that, you know, Lena Gonzalez, um, first of all, um, she has been a, um, involved in a lot, of, a lot of drama and corruption. Um, she has been named uh, by the consumer watchdog uh, in a money laundering scheme and campaign fraud, along with insurance commissioner Ricardo Lara. So I'm not involved in any, you know, political drama, uh, corruption. Um, I, my goal is just to bring um, awareness of what's happening in our district and resources to help our communities. And I haven't really seen much of that at all from Lena Gonzalez. I know that she recently tried to pass a broadband bill, which Speaker of California also shelved, didn't allow that to go through. But I felt that was really just kind of pandering right before the election. Um, to me, everybody needs broadband because now we're seeing what's happening with, you know, children who had no access to um, Internet and Absolutely. computers. Absolutely. So, yeah. So it's just another disparity. And um, I think she should have been fighting for that long, long time ago. All our members of our legislature should have been fighting for that long time ago and should really to me it shouldn't be allowed to be corporatized the corporate um corporations to own it and then charge us whatever they want i think it should be the belong to the people really it should be free really because wasn't the internet when it was created it was free (laughs) yes i think we're old enough to remember that yes it was (laughs) and now look at where we are and it's like only the rich or you know middle class can afford it and then now look at what's happening to our many of our children in our communities. You know, they have to go out to Taco Bell to sit out there to do their homework. That's ridiculous. Goodness, I saw that also. I saw that. That yeah, is heartbreaking. That is heartbreaking. And it, that should not be happening in our country. That's ridiculous. Not just that. A lot of people that I speak with here in Southgate really agree with what you're saying. They're really tired. Basically, they're, what I've seen, what I have learned over these um, over these several years, you know, being more involved with activism and all that, I mean, um, is that they're really enriching themselves. That's what I've seen, enriching themselves, corruption, enriching their friends, and then actually giving resources over to other cities, not even in the district, to other, other cities um, that are more well off and taking it, extracting that, extracting those resources from, say, for instance, Southgate, Bell, you know, other cities in our district. And that, need, that needs to stop. We need to put a stop to that. Is there anything that you want to say to any prospective voters out there right now? Well, what I would say is um, I, if I am elected, I will fight fiercely for, for health care, single-payer health care for Californians. Um, I know that it's something that can be done. 
There's a lot of research and studies that have been done that shows that it is something that California can do. We are the fifth uh, largest economy. So it is something that is doable because I know a lot of people say, well, how are we going to pay for it? But we, we have the money there. It's already there in federal dollars. So that's something that I would definitely, definitely fight for. And then environmental justices, injustices that have been happening in our district, I would fight fiercely to hold polluters accountable and um, also for rent control, rent and more affordable housing. I would fight for that for our communities and then pandemic protections as well. I would fight for all four things and even more if, if I'm able to fight for other things as well. Yeah, I hope that people would, you know, will consider um, electing me, voting for me. It would be a privilege and an honor to serve serve this community in the state Senate. Elizabeth Castillo, thank, thank you for you. coming on and, sh- and sharing your story. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you. Uh, again, again, this is uh, Elizabeth Castillo. She is running for uh, the Senate seat, uh, District 33 here in California. Thank I you. I wish you the best I of luck on it. everything. Thank you so much. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was informative. I hope you got to meet and understand some of the candidates that are running for our local assembly and Senate that represent not only us in Southgate, but some of the surrounding cities. Uh, If you haven't voted yet, um, I hope you support them. Give them your vote. Uh, We do need change here in the Southeast, especially here in Southgate. Also, I want to apologize. I didn't get to the Legacy Apartment Project here in Southgate. I am currently waiting for some environmental impact reports. I wanted to do a full story on it. And of course, I want to give you as much information as possible. I will have that on the next episode. Thank you again for listening. I appreciate it. And I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks.